Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. I'm Kyle Grondon. And in today's episode, we will be discussing uh, the situation happening right now with the Boston Celtics. Uh, can the LA Lakers win another title without Anthony Davis? And take a peek into what's happening on the college scene right now. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to get into all that. But obviously, you know, just to introduce the podcast once again, this is the Sports Break, which is, you know, what we try to do is something not quite hot taking, not quite expert opinion analysis. It's more of a casual conversation, like yeah. your water cooler talk about just sports around the world. Yeah, you won't see us like Mel Kuyper, like just thrusting in all these trade things. We're just, we're here to talk and we're here to, yeah, we're informed, but we're not completely like crazy or egotistical, or at least we try not to be. Yeah. Oh man. I saw this mock draft today from like NFL.com where like the Falcons traded back to eight to take Najee Harris. And there was just so much like, like I couldn't oh. even tell Matt, uh, who was well, it? Fields fell to 24 yeah. to Pittsburgh. Well, what's funny is I've, I've seen a lot of those, like Najee Harris, like one of the big ones. I remember there's a bleacher report article about like things each team should do or like a trade each team should make. And one of them was the Buccaneers trading up to get Najee Harris and I had problems with that for several reasons. First, you know, you don't running backs aren't that valuable anymore, uh, just in general. So I don't yeah. know why you trade up for one and two. I thought everyone kind of agreed that Travis Etienne was the number one running back in this draft class. I don't know. I'd probably take Harris, honestly. Harris just has the size and yeah. he just he just seems like a stud. Now, I wouldn't trade up from beyond like 25 if I'm Tampa Bay. Plus, I still really like Keyshawn Vaughn. I still think he has potential. But I just if, if a running back goes in the top 15, I think that franchise should riot. That's and just I, how I feel. And I also never believe you should trade up for a running back. Like, no, never. Like you should, if someone comes to you at a pick or if you trade back and he's the best available, go for it. But yeah. there are certain positions that you trade up for. I'm not one of those weird people who's like, oh, you can only trade up for a quarterback. Like if you really like a prospect and you don't believe he's going to fall that far, you get him. But yeah. running back is one of those few positions that I'm like, you don't trade up for a punter. You don't trade up for a wide receiver. That's only going to be working on special teams and you don't trade up for a running back. Yeah. I mean, like, so even if Harris ends up like Jonathan Taylor this year, where he was the third leading rusher in the league, he was significantly behind Cook and Henry, but he was the third leading rusher in the NFL this season. Yeah. So even if Harris ends up like that his first year, if, you know, if Tampa Bay paid a little bit of money to James White and just to James White and Ronald Jones next year, is that any worse? Like that, no. that's just as good as what Harris would provide to the team. And I think it's also true that the Tampa Bay and to a lesser degree, Kansas City, though I think they did get a good a lot of value out of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire this year. The, mm -hmm. Both of those teams prove that you don't necessarily need that Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook back. If you can get in, and I think they also proved that there are a ton of running backs in the NFL that are serviceable. And if you get a good offensive line in front of them, they will be good. Um, yeah, I, I'm not one of those guys who would necessarily trade up for a guy. I personally still think Etienne is the number one guy just because I think he had so many things in the in all three assets of the game. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's got obviously the speed and, you know, elusiveness that is a little different than Harris. They're just, just different running styles. I, I think Harris could be the complete package, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be upset if I got Etienne in the 
you know, late first or second round either if I was any team. Totally. Anyway, ready to jump into it properly? Yeah, so let's let's talk some Celtics. Uh, but before that, in kind of transitioning into that, uh, two days ago, I believe, we got the official announcement of the All-Star Reserves. I know that was a big part of our discussion last week was the All-Star Starters and who we believed should and who we thought would get the All-Star Reserves nod. Uh, we got those officially Tuesday. And for the most part, it's very standard. You know, I think everyone in the West is either predictable or we kind of thought we'd get in. Um, the only no people have said about that is Mike Conley. And obviously we both talked about how it's better for his career if he just remains the best player to never get an all-star. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it, uh, I do think it's something that's going to help him in the long run for his legacy, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. But again, I think especially with Devin Booker taking over for Anthony Davis's injury spot, I think there was no, why was that guy in? I think everyone on the West was pretty good. If not exactly how it should be. The East was awful in, in terms of there are three guys who I think you could easily list as why were these guys all stars? Uh, I, th- I guess I'll start with the least egregious of the, the three, uh, which is Zach Levine. Um, I definitely don't think over, we talked about some of the other guards in the the uh, Easter conference. And let's just take, we'll talk about Middleton in a second, but let's just say he's a forward for now. Cause I think that's how most media people were considering him. The fact that Levine got in over like Trey Young, in my opinion, Colin Sexton. I don't know. I just, Uh, A lot of people were trying to say Brogdon should have been in there. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there were so many other guards that could have gotten it in over him. So I'll push back on this one a little bit because I think he definitely deserved it because, so here's my argument. I think that they, they added, there was basically three, what I would consider, or I guess if you threw Jeremy Grant in there, four guys who I would consider good stats on bad teams guys. And those four guys were Grant, Trey Young, Zach Levine, and also Nick Vucevic. So which we'll get point, to in a second, which we'll get to yeah. in a second. So if you look at those four guys and say, we can't put all four of these guys in. They're putting up good numbers, but at the same time, if we have a bunch of guys who are bottom feeder teams in the NBA, what does that say about our what does that say about our league right now? So I think it makes a lot of sense that you pick the two you like the most, or however the coaches voted out, the two that you know you like the most and you know, you went with them. Now, the argument would have been Brogdon and Sabonis for each of that that guard and forward spots. And you could throw Bam in there as well as an option. My one argument against Brogdon, Sabonis, and Bam, who have all been terrific this year, by the way, that uh, Miami has started really slow. It hasn't been this – or they got a little bit better here with Jimmy Butler back. But at the same time, they're still the eighth spot in the NBA or in the Eastern Conference. The, P- the Pacers are 15 and 15. You know, this is a team that I I had pretty high expectations for. They're a good team. They still haven't quite figured it out yet. Now, if this Pacers team's like 20 and 10 and those two guys don't get in, I think there's an argument there. But with the with Chicago as an eight seed right now, or a six seed right now, excuse me, at 15 and 16, and Levine and his numbers averaging 28 a game, and it's not just 28 a game. It's the incredible shots he's hitting and just the ridiculous plays that he's making on, on the offensive side of the ball. I, I think there's a real argument for Middleton, Brogdon, Sabonis, Bam, all these guys. 
but I'm okay with Levine making it just because of what he's where the position he's put Chicago in. And is he bad defensively? Sure, but he's going to be fun as hell to watch in an All Star game. And I think that ultimately comes down to that point too. Is you know he's been a bright spot on the Bulls, and and not that the Bulls are awful this year, but that you know you look at him and they're clearly Levine's team. And uh, even though a lot of people are chumming up Kobe White, I don't think it's necessarily his team yet. And you look at what he's done this year. I get the argument against like Brogdon and against some of the other guards. Trey Young, I think, was another one who a lot of people were surprised didn't get the nod. But I understand. I understand why. But also, I understand the opposite why. I personally, if I were the coach, like it, it may also just be the coaches like him more. Maybe you know. Maybe the coaches prefer a player like Levine over a player like Trey Young. I mean, I know apparently Steve Nash hates Trey Young. I mean, listen, I, I mean, I've been, I may come off as biased about this, but I'm not a big Trey Young fan personally. Yeah. I'm not a fan of the game. I'm not a fan of how they play. I'm not a fan of the offense. That's essentially, they basically look like they play basketball so Trey Young can get stats, not to win games. Because they continue to add talent to that team. They've had John Collins there, Trey Young's entire tenure, who's very good. I think he's almost a little underrated. Uh, they added, you know, Bogdanovich. They have Danilo Gallinari now. They added Rondo. Uh, Capella's been a monster this season. All these guys are on this team. And they're still not winning basketball games. I think this entire offense is generated for Trey Young to put up numbers. And I just hate watching everything about it and uh yeah i mean i'm perfectly okay with trey Young not making the all-star game because i'm not i wouldn't celebrate that kind of basketball it's never going to win games but to play devil's advocate and again i don't think they're the exact same player but you know the player he's been compared to most of his career and really most of since anyone's noticed him is steph curry and you look at steph curry's first couple years in the league and there was an argument that he's not a great player and that he's a stat fatter if you're looking at the first couple years Obviously, around 2013, 2014 is when he turned a quarter and became from a good scorer to an amazing player. And yeah. well, maybe, the thing with go ahead. No, I'm saying, and maybe Trey Young can become that. I, I do agree with you that the player Trey Young is now is probably flashy, but not in a good way. Flashy in, in, in overcoming how mediocre he is at other parts of his game. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Steph, a couple of things also dealt with some injuries. And the other thing, too, is they couldn't figure out how to get the ball out of Monte Ellis's hands during that time. And that also hurt the team because Ellis just wasn't a good enough player to lead a team. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that I just don't see the comparison between the two because Steph plays winning basketball. And to me, Trey Young doesn't. And it's as simple as that to me. And I don't know if he's ever going to play winning basketball. He could be, you know, one of these outrageous stack guys who just don't you know, put it together with a great team. You know, we've had them throughout NBA history. He could be something along those lines. So I'm okay with the pick of Levine over guys like him and Brogdon and Middleton. I think it's a completely fair decision. He reminds me a lot of, and again, I think this guy's career has been misremembered because he had that one great playoff run. But if you take the 2001 run out of AI's career, you know, I mean, specifically just the playoff run, you look at him and they seem very similar in that they're two very offensive scoring guys. They can do almost anything in the game, but you you wonder what they can do on defense and you wonder how you can build around that. Because, yeah. you know, it's I, I do think the 
the diff, the big difference between Trey Young and Steph Curry's game is that you can understand how you can build around a Steph Curry in a game, like how you build a team around him. They've tried to do that in Atlanta, and whether it's because the team's still too too young or they're not pick, picking the right guys, it just hasn't worked out. I don't know. Yeah, and I think you know the defense has to change. You know, not that Steph and AI were awesome defenders although ai put up some pretty outrageous steel seasons but just because of his size he's never going to be a great defender because he's so undersized um but you just want to see the effort and to me the effort's never there with him on defense uh and that's something that's got to change i think especially if this team wants to be competitive because you're just never going to see it if this team if he's if he's not going to try and, you know, any guard can score on him basically with ease because he's not bringing effort on that end of the court. Yeah. And I also think what makes AI during his really his prime and then Steph uh, really oh, to deal with their defensive lapses is they were across from one of the best defensive players at their time. If you look at Philadelphia with Eric Snow and then in Golden State with Clay Thompson, they each had guys who could be that defensive guy who they didn't necessarily have to be the defensive glue like some other point guards need to be. I don't know. Again, I I think he was the least egregious of the three that we really differed on. And I do think we kind of mentioned it, but I don't think either of us put him on our teams. Uh, So he was the one that I think first, when you look at the list, Uh, the next one in terms of egregiousness is Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics getting the forward position. This to me screamed like we, t- we talked about it with Paul George in the West in terms of the forwards that we're going to get in and him getting in. Not necessarily that he's not a quality player, but in terms of in a lackluster Western forward position, he was going to get in just because he was there and because there wasn't a lot of great names in that pool. And I feel like Tatum got in over some more quality deserving guys. We talked about Gordon Hayward. We talked about Chris Middleton. I don't know. I I just, he's a guy who's going to get in based on name value, but I just didn't think he deserved to get in over some of the other names. I mean, once again, I don't know if I can't remember if I had, I think I had him in. Um, But the problem is, is like, so Gordon's season's been fantastic and Middleton's season's been fantastic because that's probably the comparative to Tatum. Um, but I guess the question you have to have with Tatum is like, you know, the Celtics have been very disappointing this season, especially the last few weeks. And I think that adds a lot to it, but it definitely adds to the fire. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because Charlotte's been so exciting this year that we, we, you know, we're kind of back on Gordon Hayward, but if you just look at them in a vacuum, who's the better player this season? I mean, even, you know, if you take away the idea that the Celtics have been disappointing, and the Hornets have been really exciting and overperforming. Tatum's numbers are way better across the board. He's been a better player this season. But I think there's also been the argument that Tatum's been injured for a lot of it in that, yeah, you know, that being an argument of does, does his length of being in the NBA deserve, or in the season deserve to be an all-star? Um, again, as we talked about last week, I think that's what costs James Harden being a starter is just length in the East. Uh, yeah, I mean... Again, I don't think this was surprising in the fact that I think most people around the NBA picked him to be an all-star reserve. Uh, Some people were surprised he wasn't an all-star starter. Uh, But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. The, I could, uh, I think as a fan of like 
rewarding people in the moment, which is surprising because I think they did that in the Julius Randle selection. I think they rewarded the guy who had been the best in the season and in the moment. That being said, I think that would have also helped Gordon Hayward get an all-star selection. But maybe he's on the top of their list. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I I think if you're looking at the situation, I think it could have been swayed if it was today the vote versus whenever they did it beforehand. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could have been. I mean, I think it's really tough to gauge all-stars at 30 games into a season. Um, It just feels like the season just started. But, I mean, I'm perfectly okay with Tatum because at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, you want the best players on on the court. It's the all-star game. It's an entertainment factor. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like he's still much better than, you know, guys like Hayward and Middleton. Even though I'm a big Middleton fan, I just think Jason Tatum's a better player. So I'd rather see Tatum out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I, I, I'm a Celtics fan, so I'm not going to deny that I think Tatum in a normal season would would have been an All Star. And and honestly, if you ask me, Tatum or Middleton, who would I rather have right now? I'd rather have Tatum, obviously. But looking at the course of this season, if you look at it, in my opinion, subjectively, I can't say that Tatum necessarily deserved the all-star slot i mean again it would have been a a tough call between some of those other forwards but i think if you look at their body of work just this season i can't necessarily say without a doubt that they should be an all-star if you just forgot their name value that's fair i mean it could have went either way but you know the thing is is that if if tatum's not an all-star then we're doing conversations about how tatum's an all-star snub this season true uh, it's it's definitely the, one of the interesting topics. It's not the most egregious all-star selection because that to me by far is Nikola Vucevic. Uh, he was someone who I heard could have been a possibility for an all-star reserve, but I just dismissed it as he doesn't have the numbers. And especially, you know, as much as they are just forwards now and not centers, I think a lot of people just knew that like, okay, it's going to Embiid's the starter and Bam is probably going to get in there. And the fact that Vucevic got in there and Bam didn't, and Bam is my opinions had one of the, that in the all-star in the post uh, in the bubble last year had one has had one of the best stretches of his career. If not like an all-star caliber stretch, I am sh- completely shocked. He's not in the all-star game. Yeah. I mean him and him and Sabonis, I think had legitimate cases that they should be. I think a couple things hurt them is that another one is that same thing. I said earlier a little bit with the uh, Zach Levine point is neither, neither of these teams did enough. I felt like record wise to really separate them and say they're a significantly better team. They need to be in now. The magic are a complete train wreck. Yeah. That's, that's okay. If it was like Sabonis or if it was like, I'm trying to think of another big man. Like let's, let's say it was a big man on the, the the calves or something on a surprise team then i would be like okay at like better record he's probably done really good but you're talking about vucevic who's done okay and put up some good stats but on a magic team that's just pitiful in my opinion and you know as much as we want to say that the heat have been a disappointment at least they're still contending and at least uh adebayo has been pretty good this year 
Yeah, I mean, I think Adebayo has been very good. I think Bam's been very good. Uh, you know, the thing with Vucevic is, you know, he's basically played, he played two weeks without a point guard on his team. They did not have a healthy point guard for two weeks and he's still averaging 24 and 12. Uh, I think the argument would have been real for Sabonis if he kept up that, you know, he was a near triple-double like the first like 10, 12 games of the season. If he kept that up, I think he would have been a lock obviously to get in. And because he cooled off, I think, you know, he probably, you know, was forgotten almost by the coaches in that regard because, you know, they, you know, if, if he's going to start to tail off, they're going to forget about him a little bit more. And it's so hard to pick those Pacers players when they're both, you know, very good, but neither one of them having great numbers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Bam, he brings it more in the defensive end for Vucevic. I probably would have picked him over Nick, but at the same time, like, I, I don't know. It's really hard if, if Miami was like, Miami is another one where if it's like, if they're 18 and 14, I think Bam's a lock for the all-star game, but they're not. I just, I don't know. And, and again, I think the fact that it's the coaching, so much of the coaching vote, I think kind of makes you ask the question of, cause I've heard stories about Vucevic being loved by a lot of teams. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's one of those players who a lot of people put in as possible trade candidates uh, because apparently he's really well liked so maybe that has something to do with it. Not necessarily that Bam's not liked, but that Vucevic is like a coaching favorite. I don't know. I just, I feel like of the three big men forwards we've been talking about, I feel like Bam clearly had the better record and resume to get in. I understand the idea that, you know, Vucevic had a good stats for a really subpar team, but I also think that you did a similar thing with Zach Levine over Trey Young, where you got the guy who maybe had a little bit less uh, quality stats, but was a better team player versus Trey Young. I think the same thing would have applied to the Vucevic at a bio debate. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it was tough either way. I, at the end of the day, I'm okay with it because I, I still think at the end of the day, we probably got 12 of like the 13 or 14 best guys. I mean, you can argue Bam and uh, Vucevic, but that's it's still tough at the end of the day to separate those two. I think it's still razor thin margins, mm -hmm. and you know, essentially deciding the All Star with twenty less games than usual, I think it makes it that much tougher. Do you think? And again, I know, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion going forward about this All Star game, about should they have done it. Obviously, we'll know afterwards if it was worth it like health wise, but I think this is going to be a discussion of like, should they have pushed it maybe later or maybe do something crazy? Like after the season all-star game where it's like, like the NFL pro bowl in a sense, I don't know. I think that could have been something interesting. They could have done both to mitigate, keep the, keep the revenue going while also mitigating some of the health concerns while also helping accommodate some of the, you know, it's so, such a shortened season. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of variables about this basketball season and they've been really tough for the league as a side and also the players and coaches. I mean, part of the reason they started the season on time is because they wanted the Christmas game money. On time. Uh -huh. Yeah. Part of the reason yeah. Part of the reason that they also wanted to start this Chris or this NBA season around Christmas time is because they want these players ready for the Olympics. You know, so if there's an all-star game after the finals, a lot of those guys aren't going to be ready to go for the Olympics or you're going to have them all drop out to prepare for the Olympics, um, which, you know, I mean, should we have pros playing in the Olympics? It's a different discussion altogether. Well, as we um, saw, as we've seen over the last, I guess, couple of weeks, but also year, if you look at the entire America Cup, 
We may not need it because we're kicking their butts with Joe Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, and a bunch of scrub. Like they're, you know, they've I they've mean, won they've won each game by double digits. I'm not saying I'm not saying those guys can win a gold medal, but I mean, you yeah. can't tell me you can't get some fringe starters to come in and be really good. Like, listen, the whole point of the redeem team was to win a gold medal and show America we've proven that we're the best at we're the best at basketball. I think that's well known that America has the most basketball talent in the world. Oh, yeah. And no one's going to dispute that. So, I mean, I think it'd be fine even if like, you know, Porzingis, Vucevic, and Doncic and all these guys play in the Olympics. You know, college kids are still going to do pretty good. So the one, I mean, the one concern is you don't want what happened in 04 again, where you're losing to Argentina and you're settling for a bronze. And again, in, a, in the same scenario of legitimately, you could probably put out 10 different teams that could all win medals. Yeah. Like different players, different medals. I don't know. The, I do think, you know, all like, what do they usually do when it's the summer and then the Olympics? Do they try and like accommodate it quicker or use non uh, players in the playoffs? How do they usually get it done? Well, they, they typically don't have to worry about the season because the season ends in June and they usually just transition straight from there to the Olympics. Uh, so they typically don't have to worry about it. But with this, obviously, it's a bit of a time crunch. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, knowing how this this year has gone, we may not get the... I, I know there was a lot of talk earlier about they may push the Olympics back even further. Uh, it's all crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Olympics... I, I, we'll see what, if it happens. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it just... You look at it and it's like... You know, you're essentially. I, 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 a lot of people have joked before about the Olympics being like a cesspool for, like, sexually transmitted diseases and stuff like that with the Olympic Village, and now you're adding upon that a very rapidly autoimmune transmitting disease. Like, I don't know. Does not does not add up. Does not compute. Should be fun. No. Should be should be. <laughs> oh, the Olympic Village stories we'll get this week. This this time would be great. Yeah, fateful last word. Should be fine. <laughs> Uh, those words are not being said right now in Boston, which, uh, transition of the year. Uh, let's, let's, uh, you know, in general, Boston's had a bad couple of years sports wise. When you're talking about, you know, Tom Brady leaving everything that's going on with the Red Sox right now, they've like officially, officially now gone away from their championship pedigree. And now you look at the current state of the Celtics, they may have had, over the last month had the biggest drop-off of any team I've seen in the NBA right now. They're just, they're getting, and it's not even just they're losing games. They're getting creamed. Like they're getting destroyed. Yeah. I mean, they're not playing good basketball right now. They're, uh, what is it? They're 14th in offensive rating, 17th in defensive rating. They're 13th overall in the NBA in net rating. Um, I mean, this team has two guys and everybody else. I think that what you've seen here, I mean, I don't even necessarily want to say that because the problem is, is like, it's not like they didn't take the chance and try and get some stars. Every move they made, though, just didn't work out and it's costing them now. Outside of drafting Tate, uh, Brown and trading back to Tate, uh, get Tatum, none of their moves have worked. You know, they got Kyrie Irving. That was a disaster. They let Kyrie Irving walk. That was a disaster. They let Terry Rozier walk. 
That was a disaster. They replaced Terry Rogier with Kimball Walker. That's looking like a disaster. You know, they signed Gordon Hayward. That's a disaster. They let Gordon Hayward go without mm. a sign-in trade. That's a disaster. They had a trade on the table for Kemba or for Hayward. That was Doug McDermott and Miles Turner. That was a disaster that they didn't do that. You know, every single move that they made, I've never seen the team miss on so many moves, you know, that you can look at at the time and be like, okay, sure, that makes sense. And then you look back at it and it's like, wow, that really blew up in their face. It's And you combine that all with their inability to draft from spots 10 to 25 and not getting a single productive player outside of Peyton Pritchard in those spots. And it's just been, a, you know, the roster's a mess. And it's, and it's really funny because... I think they've done a really good job over the last couple of years. I know 2019 was kind of another one of those like dumpster fire, you know, where the Kyrie is clearly not working and Gordon Hayward clearly is not the same player he was before injury. But you look at it now and just over the last, it feels like over the last month and a half, everything feels like it's come like exploded upon itself. Like, you look at all the pieces and all the ways they've, you know, they've done a good job over the years of if, even if they miss on something, they find a way to like tape it over to where it's not really an issue. Like obviously it didn't work out as well as you had wanted it to, but it's not costing you a lot. It feels yeah. like, and I think last year was a great example of, they kind of did a great job of taking that 2019 team that really kind of lost its way, finding some great replacements and, you know, Kemba having a, good start of his year and some of the other pieces uh, and really finding a, you know, getting that team within a win, I believe of the, uh, of the NBA finals in the bubble. And now it just seems like over the last month and a half that everything has just gone back to being terrible. Whether you look at, you know, Kemba Walker has aged like 10 years in like a month. Uh, I still think he'll have some potential. I just don't know if he's anything near the Kemba Walker we saw in Charlotte or even the Kemba Walker we saw last year. Um, all of their free agency signings that were supposed to be like the cheap fixing move has not worked. Marcus Smart continues to be a weird liability at times. Uh, whereas in the bubble, he was a huge asset. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't, again, in the same way that other teams, we've seen other attempts at being like the the next big three or the next super team, how they failed because the pieces under them seem to collapse. It's it's the same thing. And, you know, I think as much as you want to give Brad Stevens the leash to finally fix it up, and again, it's a weird year. They're, they've, they've fixed it before in the past. It I don't know how they fixed this scenario because – Again, it's not just like one thing. It's like everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the part of the problem too is that when they they realized, I think that Danny Ainge is weirdly kind of afraid to like change things now because he made all of these big moves and then all of them kind of blew up in their face, his face. And now you, you looked at this roster and kind of said, there's some glaring holes here. They have a point guard who had knee issues on his medical when he signed with the team. And those knee issues have just seemingly gotten worse in Kemba. And now not only did he miss time to start the year, he can't hit a he can't hit a jump shot anymore. It's no. like uh he he you know it's like every game I look at he's five for 18, four for 19, those kind of things. So not only can he not shoot anymore, it seems like there's just no lift and explosiveness in his game like there used to be. 
at his days at UConn and then in, in Charlotte too. So you're looking at all these moves blow up. You know, you have an Asian point guard who's not looking too great. You've needed a center for since Horford left and you haven't been able to upgrade that position. And they continually just like look at it and say, okay. And I don't mention you as, as rough as the Hayward situation was with the contract, you know, he was still a really valuable contributor off the bench with his ability to create jump shots, not for himself, but for other people too. And that was a really dynamic lineup having him Tatum and Brown out there, even if Hayward was unhappy as the third fiddle. And instead of like finding a guy to replace Hayward, they replaced him with a three point specialist in Neesmith who can't get on the court. So I just think that there's so many issues with how they've addressed this roster these past, this past like year. And they haven't been able to upgrade talent. Like, the fact that Nick Vucevic isn't on this team right now is baffling to me. Like, why has that trade not happened yet well, with it, that trade exception they had? It's also the fact that, and I understand why Danny Ainge, after seeing a bunch of moves blow up in his face in a row, I understand now why he's gun shy. Because as much as, in the same way that nailing a trade makes you like gung-ho and makes you want to make more trades... Like, I, I feel like the Kyrie trade was an example of that where he had seen so many trades in the past work that he said, we need to make a move to get even closer. Let's do this trade for Kyrie Irving. I can understand if you say, the only good things we have right now are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I'm not going to risk, you know, the, 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 the rug falling out from under us if I trade some moves and it works out, it doesn't work out again. And it somehow is even worse. Cause yeah. I think if you're the Celtics right now, you have to go in with the impression that there is a way to fix this team because there are way too many pieces. Like as much as we want to say that they are Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and everything else is bad. There are still pieces on that team and still trade assets to have to find a competitive team. I'm not saying they need to be the next Lakers or even a team that's going to compete with the 76ers or the uh, the Nets. But with the pieces you have, and you still have, in theory, two of the top 20 players in the NBA right now, you should not be in the spot you're in. And especially the spot they're in right now, like currently, where they're losing to the Hawks by 20 points and they're getting beaten by... I think they've lost like what five of their last six or something like that. Yeah, I think four in a row too. So yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're just in a bad spot. I mean, they're they're gonna have to make some changes to fix this team. You know, yeah. as as hard as it is to make another trade, even though they've blown up. Like if you you can criticize Danny Age all you want, but at the same time, like you look at every one of those moves that he made that we described. At the time, all of those moves were the right moves. Mm. Nobody was thinking back in 2018 or whatever, oh, man, they really should have signed Terry Rozier to three-year $41 million. Terry Rozier outperformed his contract this yeah. season, but nobody was thinking they should have re-signed Terry Rozier at that price. Yeah. Nobody was thinking that they shouldn't have traded for Kyrie Irving. Nobody was thinking that they shouldn't have signed Gordon Hayward. Nobody was thinking that they should have let Hal Horford walk. You know, they just haven't been, they A, haven't been able to replace those guys when they have left and they haven't, you know, the yeah. moves haven't just worked out in their own. So but, I don't think they're yeah. necessarily a wrong move. I think they were just, you know, the moves didn't work. I think you go back at it and you keep trying, which is why they need to upgrade this roster with more top end talent, because you can value draft picks, you can value prospects, yeah. you can value young talent, but guess what? Prospects and pr- draft picks don't win basketball games. 
And you can keep valuing these prospects way too highly, but they're not going to win you basketball games this season. You know what's going to win you basketball games? All-stars like Nick Vucevic. So I think they just they need to swallow their pride and say, listen, we're not good at drafting. Why are we valuing all of these draft picks? Especially for drafting 15 to 20, we've been notoriously bad at it. Why not just try and upgrade the, with those draft picks to an all-star? And I think you hit the, hill on the, the nail on the head twice there, which is it's not necessarily that these moves have been they've been they've lost it because i think if you look at a lot of their moves the Kyrie irving trade a great example uh al horford going to philadelphia another great example it's not like it's also working for the other team like those moves were awful for the other team as well it's just that every move it seems over the last three years has not worked for the celtics in particular and I think the main thing is, and I think we've seen this a lot in the recent NBA with teams having these like three to four year title windows. And then the, they've, they spend too long thinking they have this actual title window. And as a result, they languish in mediocre mediocrity. I fear the Celtics are nearing that point to where they still have great players and they still have the potential right now to re reshape this roster, get some high end talent or figure things out. Because again, I think you also hit the nail on the head that you're not going to find the top end talent you need in the p- spots they're picking. That's not yeah. where you did you, the pieces you need to win a championship this year, or even like the championship, the next three years are not in, draft picks 13 to 26 you yeah. you sometimes find a Pritchard and you maybe once in a lifetime find a Donovan Mitchell but you'll you're you, there's no certainty with that but there are certainty and you, if you can find like a Vucevic or you can find a Sabonis or you can find someone that just fixes you but like you look at the entire state of Boston sports and the reason I'm kind of wearing this Bruins hat is they're the only team right now, if you're a Boston sports fan, that you can say, well, at least we have that. Because, you know, the Patriots have so much uncertainty. The Red Sox are in the middle of a how how many years we don't know rebuild. And the Celtics are on the tipping point between a contender and a mediocre, like, six, seven seed, playoff seed. Yeah. Bruins are playing good hockey. They Bruins look good. are playing good hockey. And, they and look they, good on Lake Omaha, but yeah. uh, Brad, Brad Marchand I, is a low-key MVP candidate. Yeah, him and uh, Pasternak have been really good. Um, I've been pleased with this season. Hopefully, these older guys stay healthy with the shortened season. But so, you know, the thing at the end of the day is we talk about this. There are still probably twenty teams in the NBA right now who would love to be in the Celtics position. Oh, that because they have. They have two guys who are theoretically in the top 24 players in the NBA, um, if not better. So you, if you have two guys in that spot, you know, you can, you can rebuild this pretty quickly. You got to make some changes. So here's my two-step plan to fix the Celtics. You ready? Okay. To the graphics, two-step process to fix. Two-step plan to fix the Celtics. Number one, I mentioned it multiple times. So who says no to this trade? Nick Vucevic is probably getting dealt this year because uh, clearly the Magic, the Magic are awful. Yeah. they're awful and they need stuff. So if you did Romeo Langford, uh, you could do Langford. Uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh. Neesmith and Pritchard plus two first round picks protected for Nick Vucevic. 
Who would say no? The Celtics or the Magic? I think that's very reasonable. If anything, I would say maybe the Celtics would try and get Pritchard out of it, get out of the trade and try, maybe try and get Thompson, maybe add in a second round pick or something. I mean, the main thing I think if you're the Magic, and the reason I don't really like talking about the Magic is I feel like they're just the example of, we have a lot of stuff, but we don't know what to do with them. Like, yeah, you talk about that team with Mo Bamba still. Remember Mo Bamba and Markel Fultz, and they have like Cole Anthony. They have stuff. They just don't have anything like valuable. The only valuable thing they have is Vucevic, really. I mean, I, Isaac's got incredible value. Just been hurt this year, obviously. I mean, I think yeah. Isaac's really good. But so, I, I also mean, think Isaac's. I think. I, I guess I'll say that. Isaac's young enough that I wouldn't trade him right now if I were Orlando. I guess if you're talking about like... No, they're not going to trade him. Yeah. I think the trade candidates are Vucevic, Fournier, and Aaron Gordon. Yeah. And Gordon's hurt right now. So whenever he comes back, maybe he's traded. So that's the first step. Now, your counter to it was, oh, well, now they got to they, they gotta replace Pritchard because he's a valuable part of that rotation as the backup point guard. So here's my next trade for you. Step two of this process... The Celtics need to get out of this Kemba Walker contract. It's a bad contract now because he's not healthy and he's not valuable. Now, one team who needs a point guard and has said they want to add a veteran point guard presence to their roster because, you know, this team has needed a point guard, it seems like, for two years now, is the Los Angeles Clippers. The Los Angeles Clippers are in a position where they need a point guard and, you know, a guy with Kemba's skill set and his ability to initiate offense, maybe they hope he gets a little healthy. They can give him some time to rest as they make the postseason. Kemba Walker goes to the Clippers. Now, there are they have to get rid of a couple other guys to make the salaries work. But the framework of this deal is Kemba Walker goes to the Lake, or Clippers along with a draft pick. The Celtics have to give up their draft pick to get rid of Kemba's contract. Going the other way are Patrick Beverly. Lou Williams expiring contract and Zubac. I guess. I mean, I, the, the one thing I've heard is no team wants to trade for Kemba Walker's contract, which is again, why you threw in the first. And I do think, I do think there is a scenario where the Clippers do that because they need that extra edge to beat the Lakers though as we'll talk about the Lakers may not be the same Lakers that we talked about last year um I I I don't know it it, that's the scenario where I don't think either side is unlikely I just don't think either team is going to present that trade yeah I think it's an option um I think the problem is like I think you could see a scenario where Boston goes to Orlando and says that or Orlando is shopping around Vucevic around the league and says hey can we get these I don't necessarily know if Kemba to Boston Kemba to LA or those assets for Kemba to Boston will ever get presented if you know what I mean yeah I think that's fair I mean It'll be interesting because they said they wanted to add a veteran point guard. And unless they're going after a guy like him or, I mean, I don't even know who'd be left at that point besides him. Are they, um, are you, do you know they're going for a guy at that level? Cause I don't know who they were trying to get at that point because it just said veteran point guard. Now that could be like Ricky Rubio, who I actually kind of like on that team. I was thinking um, more at the Ricky Rubio. 
part of me said Dennis Schroeder, but I know he's on the Lakers. Like that kind of caliber, not necessarily Kemba style, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they want to, if they want to go for it, so the one counter would be that obviously the uh, the issue with the uh, the trade for the Clippers is like Zubac, you know, minimizes their size, hurts their size if they lose Zubac, which is already their weakness against the Lakers. But they are they already have a size deficiency against the Lakers anyway. So I could see, and I, I really do see them getting a guy like Whiteside or Drummond if he becomes available. I see the Clippers getting the, one of those guys. The other so. thing for the Clippers is the center market is so big right now. Like there are like five or six centers, three of them in Cleveland right now, who you could see being available. So in, in available via buyout too. Like we still don't know what's going to happen with uh, uh uh, what's his Blake Griffin? He could still be a buyout candidate. I think there are a lot of interesting guys to where, if you're the Clippers, and you do ultimately make a trade like that where you do lose Zubach, I could see Whiteside. I could see Jared Allen have to be a trade, but if you're acquiring a pick for Kemba, you could then swap that to Cleveland for a Jared Allen. Uh, I could see, you know, I could see a bunch of different assets possibilities in getting a good. A good decent center that can get you some assets. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, centers are available. So it's a move that they could make. And then obviously, you know, you get the upgrade at the point guard position because I desperately, I do think they desperately need a point guard that can, you know, allow Kawhi and Paul George to set up where they like rather than being forced to dribble the ball up the court. Yeah. I, I do think, you know, as much as I don't necessarily, you know, as much as you could, talk to Paul George or Kawhi for last year's playoff failures. I ultimately think part of it comes down to not having that point guard a to stop Jamal Murray, but also just to be that distributor that they need. Cause as good as your forwards can be a distributor, you need a point guard. And you look at all the teams in the playoffs last year and they had some form of point guard. Yep. So yep. it'll be interesting to see how that moves, but that would be my plan to fix the Celtics. Yeah. Uh, I'll definitely co-sign on your, first step of your process uh you know i do think that vucevic just feels similar to what we talked about uh with some of the uh like draft picks and how they or carson wentz and how he fits with the colts i just think vucevic fills too many like check marks with the uh celtics in terms of spacing floor He's got the defensive potential. He's not necessarily great, but I think they don't necessarily need someone great. And I think the other thing is they just have, like, if you think of, like, assets ranked 1 to 10, they have so many 4s, but they need an 8 or a 9. And, you know, Kemba was thought to be an 8 or a 9, but he's like a 6, a 5, or a 5. And so they need to get that 8 or a 9. Um, I am not necessarily like, I understand why you would, I don't necessarily think you necessarily, I said necessarily five times in that sentence. I am so sorry, but I don't believe you need to trade Kemba Walker yet. Again, this is a very weird season. Every team is trying to scramble and adjust to try and meet what they're doing. Maybe you can find it out. Because again, I think if you look at the team from last year, if you had told us last year that Kemba Walker would be this trade candidate or a guy who the Celtics wanted to dump, I think you would think that's ridiculous because he did have a good start last year. 
before COVID happened. So, yep. and I do think if he can get, like, I, I still believe there's some part of him that's not healthy yet because obviously they had like a three week off season. So yeah, exactly. I'm not necessarily dumping Kemba Walker at this point, but I do think that you just have too many assets if you're the Celtics to not find trade options. I think if you look at like what the Cavs did in 2018, where the first half of the season, they were a mess to the point that at the trade deadline, they traded like half of their team, if not more than that. Uh, and while it wasn't perfect, and ultimately I think cost the Cavs for a, a number of years, if you look at like how the George Hill contract affected them, uh, you know, how Larry Nance did, uh, but you see the team and they were a much better team in the playoffs because they had better assets. I think you could do a very similar scenario Boston this year. Not necessarily that they'll catch Brooklyn or that they'll catch Philly, but I think it's important, and I'll leave it with this. I think it's important if you're the Celtics to at least establish hope next year. Because if you leave this year very similar to how you left 2019, I think a lot of Celtics fans and even some people in the Celtics organization will be thinking that you've gone over the edge and now you're that six, seven seed every year versus a top contender. I'd agree. Yeah, I mean, I but like I said, you know, they need to make some changes and I think they will eventually make those changes. But they're still in a position where every other team would want to be them right now because they have those two, not just two top 25 guys, but two young top 25 guys. They're in a position that if they need to flip this around and get competitive, they can do it quickly. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the other side of the United States. Uh, one team in another interesting situation is the Lakers. Uh because, you know, coming off of the world title, every like they're the clear favor they were the clear favorites going into the season to repeat. And not that necessarily they can't that that people don't think they will still repeat. But I do think that this Anthony Davis injury has affected them more than we thought it would. To the point yeah. that similar to the Celtics, now obviously to a way lesser degree than the Celtics, but you look at the team when Anthony Davis is playing and when Anthony Davis isn't playing and it does not look like the same team at all. Yeah. I mean, listen, if Anthony Davis isn't healthy, this team's not beating Utah. I will say that right now. They have zero chance of beating Utah this team. If Anthony Davis isn't healthy, I, I don't care who they add as a buyout center. I don't care if they make any other trades, they can't beat Utah without Anthony Davis. It's very clear that this team is, you know, has a major problem without him on the court. He does so much for the team. He's such a dynamic talent. They need him on the court. So hopefully he can get healthy, but this team is just not going to straight up, not going to be good enough without him. And I think going into the season or going like a lot of people were wondering how valuable he was. Cause obviously he's a great player in a lot of, you know, as much as the team is focused on LeBron, you look at the difference between last year or the previous year and last year, and you say, does Anthony Davis the difference or is it just everyone got better? Because you look at like the playoffs and Alex Caruso was just better in the playoffs than he was before the COVID strike down happened. KCP had an amazing year last year. So you could argue that like as, as good as Anthony Davis was, he wasn't like the key to everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point right now, it's like, you just watch those games. It's like LeBron making passes and basically just begging guys to hit a shot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them just can't hit shots right now. Uh, KCP is probably their best 
you know, KCP is probably their second best attack option right now on the court. Yeah. And that's just not going to be conducive to a winning game. I like a lot of KCP's game, but he's not, he shouldn't be the second option on an offense. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's really any trades for them to make. I think this roster is pretty complete. But yeah, I mean, I think Davis is shown that he's very important. I think Dennis Schroeder has shown he's incredibly important to this team too because he's a clear third option on this team. That him not being out there is almost just as important. It's not just as important as Davis, but it's still very, very important that he's on the court. Well, I think they also do the thing that, you know, team team sports are so interesting in that you could have a player that's the best player in the world but it doesn't matter if any, everyone else on the court is not glued to what they're doing. And that doesn't mean you need to have three of the best players in the world on your team, but we've seen it all the time in basketball where, you know, Michael Jordan's putting up 35 points a game, but he doesn't have Scottie Pippen. So the team's not getting to the finals or you look at LeBron in the early Cav years and He's doing amazing. He's winning MVPs and they're losing in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, not that necessarily this Cavs team is the, at the level of those early Cavs teams, but you look at what Dennis Schroeder does and especially what Anthony Davis does. Anthony Davis to me is a top 10 player in this league who always gets discredited. He gets discredited. He first got discredited because he played in New Orleans and no one watched him in New Orleans. Yeah. He then got discredited once people started watching him in New Orleans because the team around him was awful. You look at the team, especially the last year of his contract, in, or last year in New Orleans, and really even the year before, once DeMarcus Cousins really kept getting injured, those teams outside of him were awful. And he yeah. led them to a, uh, a first-round series win against Utah, I be- Utah, I believe. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, and you look at that and you say, oh, like, and the fact that I think you talk about the trade to LA, he provides so good to what LeBron wants. Yeah, I, I mean, is he at the level of like LeBron or Kevin Durant? No, but I think a, a big man like him who can play at almost any spot on the court because he's got great passing, great shooting. I think he's as valuable as any player right now outside of maybe LeBron and, and Kevin Durant. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with a lot of that. I mean, I think he is incredibly important, especially on both sides of the court. You know, part of the reason that I thought they could have got, I thought they were okay with getting rid of JaVale and Dwight is because he's such a good shot blocker as well. So mm-hmm. I think that having him on the court and being able to do that provides a lot to their team. Now, when he's not on the court, I think Marcus Gasol is a very good situational defender. He's a great mm-hmm. positional defender. He's a defensive player of the year for a reason. Um, so he's good at a lot of those different well, things. Well, because he stole it from LeBron. But... I mean, he was also, you know, yeah, fantastic know, defensively. Know. So, I mean, so he does a lot of things really well on the defensive side, but he's not a shot blocker like Dwight was. He's not a shot blocker like JaVale can be. Um, that's just not his game. He's more positional defender, making deflections, doing things like preventing guys entering the paint. He's good at that stuff, but he's not a shot blocker. So they had AD that's supposed to be in that position. And with him not there, it's basically like, uh, it's like a chain of command. It's like, you you know, you take one guy out from the equation and then everything below him falters, you know? It's also the thing of, you look at the centers they had last year versus this year. And obviously you look at like Dwight Howard, I think has had a very good year this year for Philly. 
Like, I think he was, he's better this year than he was last year. And, but I think if you took, if those two players were still in, in, uh, in LA, I would think, you know, they may be bad or like they may not be doing as good as they would with, with Anthony Davis, but I think they still have some of that, like that shot blocking, as you mentioned, or just defensive effort to them that they could still succeed. I think the two guys they got in the offseason, Montrez Harrell and Marcus All, they're guys they have because they wanted to pair him with Davis. And they yeah. fit with Davis. And without Davis, they become nearly useless because without Davis being that guy next to them who both, you know, commands so much attention on the offensive end, but also can allow them to do, I think in Montrez's case, Montrez is really good at being that like mid post defender. So Anthony Davis can become like the trailing big man, but then flip side for Marcus Saul, I think, you know, Anthony Davis can be more that inside shot blocker. I think both of those guys are a little bit weaker with Anthony Davis, not on the court. Yeah. I mean, they definitely need the help. That being said, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. They're still the national champions for a reason, and I think they're going to be fine. Uh, They just need to get healthy and hope for health throughout the season. Now, if they're not healthy, that's going to be a big question, but I still felt like this was the best team in basketball until Davis got hurt, and I think that they're going Mm -hmm. to be the best team in basketball if those guys are healthy. Uh, But obviously missing – what's that? Have have we heard a timetable for Davis? Uh, After the All-Star break, they're going to reevaluate him as well. Okay, but is there like a – because obviously – those valuations, a lot of people are now in the, the conversation of play. No, no, not the rest of the season. Is that a possibility? Do you think? I don't know if he's in a position to not play the rest of the season. I think that, I mean, they're going to hope that he gets healthy, but I mean, I don't know if I haven't heard anything about that. Okay. So now the question will be, even if he comes back, how much is still nagging after the fact, but I mean, overall, I think they're going to be fine. They just need to get healthy. If I'm going to say for this season, who's in a better spot, the Lakers or the Celtics? I think the Lakers are still in a much better position. Oh, no, a thousand percent. They just need – yeah, they need a they, they need a clean bill of health. That's why they're not playing good basketball. First of all, they have the rings. <laughs> like, they have one more recent ring than Boston does. But also, um, the thing they have – first of all, they have LeBron. Like, never forget, you have one of the top three, if not the, the best – basketball player in NBA history. And also you look at the guard spot. And while I do think losing Dennis Schroeder hurts because he provides so much on both ends of the floor, you look at like Alex Caruso and is Taylor Horn Tucker a guard or a forward? He's a guard. Okay. He's just got the arms of a center. Yeah. And, and you look at KCP and some of the, other, you have guys who can fit in that spot. I don't necessarily think it's as dire as what's happening in the, the front court where Montrezl Harrell and uh, Marcus Saul are clearly not as good with Anthony Davis not on the court. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. The one question I do have though, and I do think it's going to be the important thing is, can Utah take advantage of this? Cause I do think, uh, or any, or can the Los Angeles Clippers take advantage of this? Cause whether or not, Anthony Davis is hundred percent in the playoffs will obviously matter who makes it out of there. Cause you could argue those three teams have been the best three teams in the NBA this season. And obviously you had Brooklyn and you had Philly, but 
you you look at what Utah's done this season and what uh, the Clippers have done this season, they've been good, if not up to the, near the level of the, of the Lakers. So I could see a scenario where if Anthony Davis is not 100%, look at like what the Warriors did in 2019, where they weren't 100% and the Raptors took advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, I think those two teams are the teams that could take advantage. The interesting thing is going to be, so if if the results hold in Lakers kind of recover a little bit, but Anthony Davis isn't 100%, it's likely going to happen that they play each other as the two and three seed, um, which I think creates an interesting variable because I think you, you mean know, the Clippers those, and the Lakers? Yeah. If those two teams are battering each other, maybe that sets up Utah to kind of take advantage and, you know, they'll make the final or Western Conference finals and be a little bit more fresh. Um, I just think a Utah is a better basketball team than the Clippers right now because, you know, I think they had the top end talent and with the Clippers, obviously, but with their issues with not having a point guard, I still don't think they're great defensively. I think that they're way too reliant on outside shooting sometimes. I think, you know, not that Utah doesn't shoot a lot of outside jumpers. They just have better shooters on their team. So I think Utah's in a position where I th- I would pick them over the Clippers right now. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, let's say that Clippers-Lakers series is going on in the second round. Is there not a scenario, do you think, where because Anthony Davis is not 100%, and we saw that in the beginning of the year where the Lakers were, because they weren't at 100%, got beat by the Clippers, could you not see a scenario where the Clippers take advantage of that and win a close series because Anthony Davis is not fully healthy? Yeah. I mean, I think that the Lakers, I mean, we've seen it this week. They look very beatable without Davis on the court. Mm-hmm. So I think whoever, you know, whoever their matchup is, I think could give them problem if uh, him Davis and his shot blocking and his ability to be the second option on offense is, uh, is not on the court. I think they'd be a little better if, uh, Schroeder's out there, but at the same time, I still don't love this team without Davis out there. It's a very interesting scenario. Um, it's, I don't know, the the NBA is so interesting in that because it's so top-heavy, because it's kind of those three or four teams that you expect to make the finals or you expect to contend, this year is kind of one where there's like five or six teams. Yeah. Like you had Brooklyn this year, you had Philly, and Utah, I think, is one that's come out of nowhere. Uh, they've always been that kind of team that's always kind of disappointed in the playoffs. And now this year, obviously, they're the top team in the league right now, I believe. Def- yeah, by far yeah. the best record, 26 and 6. Yeah, and meanwhile, you're seeing teams like Boston and Milwaukee and uh, Houston's kind of struggled this year. There's just, I don't know, this some of the teams that you've seen in the past couple of years be really, really good are now kind of mediocre while some of the teams that have been mediocre are now really, really good. Yep. Yeah. So it'll be, you know, long season, interesting stuff coming up. Just interesting to see this team. Uh, They're really good. They play really good basketball. They pass the ball really well. I think it's going to make for an exciting playoffs. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that there's going to be a lot of variables at play. Yeah. Unlike what we're going to see in college right now, because I think everyone's still on the Gonzaga Baylor train. I mean, yeah, Gonzaga, you know, you can either love or hate Ken Palm, but they, they're on pace to have the best Ken Palm rating ever. So, I mean, <laughs> they're they're dominating everybody. They should dominate their conference, I know, but this team would win the Pac-12 with real ease too. So it's not like it's that. Yeah, and it's also, you know, 
I think this is the culmination of several years of just steadily getting better and steadily more establishing yourself as that like recruiting powerhouse to now you're kind of reaping the rewards of all these great freshmen. I mean, the, the interesting thing is we're seeing it in the Big Ten where there's so many fun Big Ten teams, but they're all in one conference. Yeah. 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 I mean, they really are because the Big Ten is just so deep and talented right now with all those teams, yeah. but they still feel way below Gonzaga and Baylor. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately I do think one of them will make it but it could be like the fifth or sixth best one just because of how the seating and the conference, like the, in the tournament works. They, yeah. you know, this is, you look at like Michigan is a, is a team that can make the Iowa or uh, Michigan, Iowa, Ohio state, Illinois has been a team that's really surprised me this year. I thought they'd tail off by now, but they've still been pretty good. Uh, again, I, I, the, the Rutgers is still competitive. Rutgers is competitive. There's just a lot of interesting Big Ten teams this year. Meanwhile, you look at some conferences and it's the the story in the Big 12 is not really about Baylor. It's been about how mediocre Kansas has been this year. Uh, the story in the SEC has been how mediocre Kentucky's been this year. Though in fairness, they've been kind of picking it up the last couple weeks. Um, and the, the story in the ACC is how mediocre Duke's been this year. You know, Duke and Carolina, really. I mean, yeah. it's basically been... You know, Virginia is still staying pretty good, although they lost to Duke pretty badly the other day. I don't think so, Virginia is that good, honestly. I think Virginia is fine. I just don't think, you know, we're talking about Virginia as like. I'd agree. They're not, I, they're not a national title contender to me. They might win the ACC by default, but I don't see them winning yeah. a title. Same. I just, because, you know, we're seeing like the SEC, it's been the joke for a while that the SEC has been weak. And I think this year, more than other years, we're seeing a very competitive SEC. Uh, may, maybe because Kentucky's just fallen off a cliff or at least fell off a cliff during the first month. But the ACC to me, just there's no good teams. Like I could see Alabama or maybe even Tennessee or Florida making a run in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if I see any ACC teams this year making a run. Yeah, I don't even know who I'd pick out of the ACC. Maybe I'd have to look at the state. And Again, I, I may go Virginia by default. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a team that I think, you know, at the very least, you know, Virginia is going to play good defense. Now, are they going to be able to score enough points to beat a few teams? But, I mean, they're going to be able to play defense. And, Florida and they, State obviously continues mm-hmm. to do Florida State things. They're athletic. They're, you know, they, that's been the Leonard Hamilton special. They're great athletes. And there's a lot of good athletes on that team that can win a bunch of games too and play good defense. So maybe that's a team too. Uh, and do, then, you, you know, do you trust them in the tournament? Because no, the not thing, at all. The one but I don't trust I, any of these teams. The, well, the thing I, and I, the reason I default to Virginia is a I know they've been able to do it, uh, except for obviously the year they lost in the first round, uh, but also um, they have a coach who's you'd think know how to teach his team in the tournament. Yeah. I mean, he, he's definitely, you know, that's definitely the team you'd probably pick because of, uh, you know, just having Tony Bennett, having that defense and having been there before they're still the reigning national champions uh, technically. So, you know, they are the team you'd probably pick, but at the same time, like, I don't love either of those choices. I mean, you know, I I'm almost more likely to pick Louisville than either of those two teams. I wouldn't be surprised if it's just some random team that gets like hot in the turn in the ACC tournament and wins it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as the NCAA tournament goes, I think it's basically, you know, your two teams are going to be there, and I think they're probably going to play for the title. I think the other two spots in the Final Four, there are wide open, and maybe one of these ACC, SEC teams sneak in, uh, or maybe, you know, it's two Big 12, mm-hmm. Big 10 teams because it's been the best conference. The, the, the one, again, I just, I don't know. It, this year, to like, we see this every couple of years where we see a team that's like a 12 seed or an 11 seed get in for like, how did they get in the, the final four this year would not surprise me if it's like, wait, Rutgers made the final four or, well, uh, or like, yeah. or like, wait, uh, Arkansas, I think it's Arkansas. That's like a mid tier, like Arkansas made the final four. Like I would not be surprised if some like 10 seed made the, made the final four just because, you know, subtraction by addition. If you, if you know yeah. Don't sleep on the Hilltoppers either. That's a good basketball team. If you're looking for a lower seed to make it, don't sleep on Western Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, that. I feel like Western Kentucky's been a team I bet a couple of years to make runs, and every year they've disappointed me. Yeah, I mean, they still could. I'm just they, saying, they, don't they, sleep. they have the potential to, but I often feel like so much of the tournament is potential means nothing when that you know, VCU team makes it all the way to the, to, to the final four. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, I mean, it's very well possible that they, you know, they could easily lose in the first round. I, I also think that they just have the talent that they've played competitive against some really good teams that they could upset a few of them. I also think it's interesting that, you know, we're so close to March and yet we're still seeing like A&M has not played seven consecutive games. Yeah, because of COVID, like it—it's crazy to me that we're this close to having COVID cancel stuff for a year. Like we're—I don't want to say the one-year anniversary. It's not an anniversary <laughs> we want to keep, but you know, we're talking about yeah, it's been a, almost a year since Rudy Gobert touched those microphones, and we're still seeing teams drastically affected by everything that's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, well, what was it? They said the other day that they're, uh, they're not going to replace teams because of COVID in the NCAA tournament. So now we're going to have teams potentially have to forfeit games in the tournament. I mean, I can see this being a disaster. Uh, I know they said the, is it a full bubble of the tournament, right? It's yeah. It's kind of like that. Cause my, my, my first thought it was going to be like a regional bubble and then it would go to like a, bigger bubble if, if that makes any sense but i just thought that yeah. would be a logistical nightmare but i guess either way you do it it's either okay 64 teams all in one city or well from what i heard is basically they're covering like indiana basically is hosting basically the entire tournament yeah and then indianapolis at one point i think when it's like the sweet 16 yeah is uh they're gonna conducing be- it down to indianapolis yeah. i believe Oh, so we're going like full Fortnite mode and just <laughs> the circles centering around Indianapolis? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, that's, I'm sure there are going to be lots of Hoosier marathons during that stretch, but uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's, have you seen Hoosiers? I have. It, it's a good movie. I've just, you know, people compare it to like one of the best basketball movies of all time. And I'm like, basketball is only in it like 25% of the time. <laughs> 
Like half yeah. of the movie is not about basketball. And it's like, I understand that's the point of the movie. It's like, it's not about the basketball. It's about the town, but it's like for people to compare it to like the, like coach Carter or some of these, like the best basketball movies of all time. Like, I mean, it's good. It's just doesn't feel like a basketball movie. Yeah. He got games, the best basketball movie. That's been my opinion. I really like, I mean, semi-pro is hilarious. I really like semi-pro and it, it's funny is semi-pro actually taught me a lot about the ABA that I didn't know. Yeah. Cause so much of that movie's plot is actually based in reality, uh, which is crazy for a dumb comedy about <laughs> basketball, but yeah, exactly. um, I don't know. I really like uh, white man can't jump. Uh, Coach Carter, I think, is just really good. Um, I grew up on Glory Road, so I really like that movie, though I understand that it's historically very questionable. So, Which one? Glory Road. It's on uh, It's on Don Haskins in the uh, first Yeah. Movie. Yeah. It's it's solid. It's watchable. It's a, it's a Disney movie. No, it's, it's a very watchable movie. And I think Josh Lucas, who plays Coach Haskins, is one of my favorite like coaching performances him and probably sam jackson as a uh, coach carter but like it's a very disney-fied version of that movie where it brushes over things and it oversimplifies to kind of a fit a better narrative and b kind of be simpler but i still like it yeah above the rim's another good one i don't think i've ever seen that what's uh, that about it's got Tupac in it. It's a it's a good one. I highly recommend it. It's basically you know, uh, is it like high school, a, high school basketball and gangs and drug dealing kind of thing? Is it is is he got game the one with Ray Allen in it? He got game has Ray Allen and Denzel. That's a very good one. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one's really good. Um, I I kind of liked Uncle Drew. I thought Uncle Drew was a very for what it was. It was a very good movie, and I thought Aaron Gordon was great as just the the absolute worst character in the world yeah i did not see that one <laughs> uh I, I, I it had a charm to it i understand like i thought it i thought it was better than it had any right to be yeah love and basketball good romance movie um if you uh for comedies i like white man can't jump uh yeah. one my my one hot take is space jam is really overrated yeah uh I think I think the problem is is that the idea of Space Jam is amazing. Like yeah. the idea of Michael Jordan and all these other NBA stars being in a movie with the Looney Tunes. I I I think it's I would put it in the area of guilty pleasure to me, to where I don't think it's necessarily a great movie, but I think it's so likable. And ultimately I do think the Looney Tunes are great in it. I think the, the, I have questions about Michael Jordan, but um, yeah, he he didn't translate well to the uh, well the, uh, screen. Well, have you heard the like the rumor about that movie? No. So you know the the story about him and gambling and all that personal stuff and why that's that, that's the reason his dad died and why he left the NBA. That's a rumor. I don't think that's true. But like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the story goes he wanted to come back to the NBA. But, you know, A, there was still all that baggage from the gambling thing. And B, he didn't know if people would take it well. So essentially, the movie came around as a, not necessarily a publicity thing, but like a, 
let's do this story and like let's make like hype up his return to the NBA because it came out like a few months after he actually came back so and the entire movie is essentially setting up him coming back to basketball so like like people bringing it up as like essentially a huge marketing pull for him coming back to the NBA yeah I mean I could that's a very Michael Jordan move so oh it's very I I will say I am from what I've heard about the idea for I mean first of all LeBron's just a better actor like Trainwreck is him and Trainwreck is one of my favorite like Act people playing themselves roles because it's yeah. just it's really funny him and bill Hader are great in that movie it was good uh you know i do think that there is something to space jam probably is pretty hard to play basically you know you're basically acting with nobody yeah because it's all well, uh you know cartoon characters well yeah but i th- I, I i from what i've heard the ideas of space jam too i think it's a good idea you know make it you know about family and LeBron again is a much better actor uh and and from what I've seen like just the NBA actor people are better actors in general uh we don't see stuff like that terrible Kevin Durant movie or like (laughs) like Mike is another one of those guilty pleasure movies where it's probably not good but I enjoy it because it's so silly you still watch it yeah that's fair yeah, and it's and it's so much like I, I don't remember what year it exactly came out, like two thousand one, two thousand two, or something like that. But it's so like if you watch that movie, it is so the NBA in two thousand and two, like the the Maver- how they the Mavericks are, and like just the like the same way that apparently there are scenes in like the Mighty Ducks movies that are so like NHL of the nineties. That feels I don't know. My one argument against like Mike is they try to justify Tracy Reynolds being a superstar in the league. And he's a good 5A. He looks shorter than Allen Iverson out there. There's no chance that guy's a star in the league. Is Tracy Reynolds the guy he butts heads with? It's his, yeah, it's the yeah, superstar yeah. for the Los well, Angeles Knights. Yeah, what's funny is, and I'm not sure if, like, they kind of predicted Ricky Davis. Because if if you know anything about, like, Ricky Davis before LeBron went there, he very much was like a, I don't want to say a jerk, but like he was very like I'm the superstar and LeBron's gonna be under my wing, and I don't know like the way that movie de- derails like how uh, Tracy gets overtaken by uh, Calvin feels very much like what actually happened with Ricky Davis on the Cavs. I don't know. I thought that was. I remember watching that movie and thinking like, oh, that must have been inspired by Ricky Davis. And I was like, oh wait, no, that happened later. Yeah. Also, really funny that. Uh... The Los Angeles Clippers didn't want their name to be in that, even though it's completely about them. <laughs> it's about them? I mean, I mean, I mean the, the, the Knights are basically the Clippers. Yeah, but I just, I thought that was more just a, like, find and replace team. Like, they used every other NBA team except for the Clippers. They just didn't want to describe the Clippers as a train wreck, which which they were. Actually, the Clippers had some pretty good years in the 2000s. But for decades, they've been a train wreck. And and that's also, again, remember, early 2000s. So that was right after, like, Michael Oloa Candy. That was the the low point in the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, well, what's funny is, like, Draft Day, which is one of my favorite football movies, is no problem with saying the Cleveland Browns are awful. Like it, it stamps how bad the Cleveland Browns have been. Even and, the Browns have accepted it. So yeah, and my my my, I just love you know movies like that that have just like 
take elements of real life, but also like clearly depict like a trashing of a team. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So good stuff. Anyway, uh, I guess we're done with that derailing. Uh, I'm going to have to keep track. Of, I'm going to put a little bar down here of just how long we derail for just random topics. Uh, but anyway, uh, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name again is Jackson King. I'm Kyle Grondon. And uh, tune in tomorrow. We'll uh, have a brand new episode of Draft Down 2021 with me and Adithia. And uh, we'll listen to you all next week. Thanks and gig em. Peace.